Hello everybody, welcome back to another episode of The Casual Criminalist. Today's episode, I went down to the basement to collect the script from Callum. And instead of finding the script, I found Callum's Basement Journal, which we shall open up and explore. If you're not watching the video version, if you're just listening to audio, <laughs> it's just a giant book I found in my office. One of the things about spending eight months chained to a basement wall, being whipped if you don't maintain a steady flow of 60 words per minute, is that you spend many moments wondering if your life might have been better had you not replied to the dodgy Craigslist ad in the first place. Look, Callum, if you reply to a Craigslist ad for a true crime writer, you've literally walked into the beginning of a Stephen King, like, horror novel, haven't you? (laughs) Oh, Simon, you're not using the word literally correctly. (laughs) I know, I'm so sorry. But there's no use dwelling on the past. We have to plan for a brighter future instead. Back in the early days, I tried everything to break out of here. I tried digging through the floor. Impossible. You're in the basement already. Where are you going to dig to, Callum? Ah, I tried fashioning chicken bones into lockpicks. Too fiddly. I tried training an army of rats to overpower Simon and carry me to freedom. They tried to eat me. And now I'm pretty sure I have the plague. Oh, God. I hope I didn't touch your your stuff down there too much, Callum. Nothing ever went according to plan, so naturally I decided to slow down, take a breath, and do what I do best. Research the sh- out of it. Which led me to this little casual criminalist mini-project. A study of the greatest prison breaks of all time to figure out what exactly made these legendary escape artists so successful. Ooh, I hope we talk about the guy who's... I swear he's escaped from, like, French prison, like, five times by helicopter. It's like every time, oh, there's a helicopter coming to pick him up again, isn't there? Ah, for sake! We all love hearing about the capture of criminal masterminds, but for many of them, the story only starts with the sentencing. And when I eventually liberate myself, I'll share these scripts with the world so you too, ha ha ha, so you too could win your freedom if you ever find yourself imprisoned by a maniacal YouTube content baron. Well, Callan, it looks like your game is up because I found your basement journal! My jailbreak field guide begins with the story of one of France's most successful, most cinematic. It's the, it's the helicopter guy. It's already the helicopter guy. How exciting. And most downright romantic escapee. He's an armed robber by trade. He's remembered less for blasting cops and snatching loot and more for a series of five daring escapades. The one in the title, in French, of the King of Escape. And yes, I'm going to attempt the French. Le Roi de la Vassion. Ah ha ha! I'm going to put away this giant book that I took out as a prop because it feels really dusty. (laughs) All of these props that, if you're watching the video version, I have like book props behind me on the shelves. They're actually real books. Uh, I bought them off like the Prague equivalent of Craigslist from an old dude's apartment. I think he must have died. (laughs) I just bought all of his old books and used them as set decoration. (laughs) Oh God, I'm going to hell. The teaser trailer. On the morning of the 26th of May, 1986, a white alouette helicopter swooped low over the historic, historique rooftops. I'm going to stop with a French accent. Of Paris. I just said I'm going to stop, and then I said Paris like, Paris. Why, whistleboy? Why do you do this? Why? You're such a bad person. At the controls was a beautiful young woman with fire in her eyes. 
by her side an accomplice with a sports bag in his lap and a machine gun at his feet oh my god we're in a james bond movie and it is the helicopter french dude as they hurtle towards the dome of the pantheon and the spire of lador i fell in the distance i didn't say danny what uh, not danny who's also in the basement by the way uh callum wrote the tour i fell not rifle tower it's not my fault Bursts of static came over the radio, pierced by frantic shouting, warnings that they were far below the legal altitude limit for that urban area and had no authorization to be in the city's airspace. But the pilot ignored them and pressed on. I am actually learning to fly, not helicopters, but I'm getting my pilot's license. I've wanted to do it for years. And then I was getting a bit stressed with work a couple of months ago. And I feel much better about work, but I was getting a bit stressed and it's like, yo, I need a hobby. I need to do something for me. And so I asked my wife, can I learn to fly? I got to ask my wife because it's like we got young kids and stuff or like one young kid and another one about to be born. Very excited. But I was like, can I go do this? I'd really like to do this for me because I didn't want to be like, I'm going to learn to fly because that feels a bit selfish. But uh, she was like, yeah, 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 you can. And uh, so I've been, you know, getting into all of this stuff. And apparently, obviously, I've not had it yet, but I watch like these aviation channels on YouTube because, you know, you get into the hobby. And apparently one of the most intense things that could happen is you get a number to call, which is where you do something bad and air traffic control don't want to like, you know, call you out over the radio. But they're like, they'll give you a phone number that you have to ring later <laughs> if you've done something bad and you'll get in trouble. So this guy would definitely get a number to call. Uh, that was a long detour. And somehow we ended up talking about what is going on. We ended up talking about my kids again. <laughs> She had been planning this fateful flight for the better part of three years and woke up that morning with a single-minded determination. Today, she would be reunited with the love of her life, not in a prison visitation room, but out in the real world as a free man. They closed in on their destination just past 10.30 a.m. when the red roof tiles of... Uh, Prison de la Sante came into view, a dismal brick fortress smack bang in the heart of the city. Far below, there was a commotion in one of the yards on the left bank. Guards scrambled around below like ants, swarming behind two figures making their way across the concrete. I am assuming a movie has been made out of this, but oh my god. So what an incredible story. The ones in the watchtowers turned to see the helicopter approach, then hover overhead, but their rivals were occupied with another situation. Their colleagues down below were about to be blown to pieces by two rogue inmates. From the helicopter, the master accomplice tossed a heavy bag down to these two men, and the pilot swung the chopper around to hover over the prison roof. A few moments of waiting, and two men appeared on the edge of the rooftop. They scrambled up the sloping tiles to where the helicopter now descended to meet them. Not a single shot was fired from either side. Even as the helicopter hovered mere feet above the prison and the pilot's husbands, Michel Vaugeur, Robert Brandis, and master prison escapist, grabbed hold of the rails and descended to his freedom. La amour et la violence. I know, I'm so sorry, French people. I know I'm not doing it right. I'm so sorry. The big climax of this story is all the makings of a classic Hollywood flick. Back then, Monsieur Vaugeur even had a perm and a stash combo that'd give Tom Selleck a run for his money. But his story wasn't always as glamorous as all that. Before Michel could uh, plan blockbuster jailbreaks in Paris, he'd have to work his way up from the very bottom as a petty criminal out in the Ardennes countryside. Michel Valjour was born in the quaint little countryside hamlet of Saint-Quentin-le-Petit in 1951. His parents were pretty plain, stable bureaucrats who decided four years in that they couldn't really be bothered having a kid, so they dumped little Michel with his auntie. Things worked out in the end, and his, as his auntie doted on him, and gave him a much happier life than before. <laughs> like, who does that? It's like you have kids. And it's like, you're like nah, just don't, I'm, I'm, I'm out. 
Hey, <laughs> like, if I was like, hey, sister, can you take care of my kids now? I'd be, it'd be like, she'd be like, what the f***? <laughs> They're your kids. They're not mine. I got shit to do. I got my own kids. He befriended the village priest who became the closest thing he had to a father figure. On the weekends, he taught him to shoot, run, and climb. Little did the Holy Father know that his petty protege would be using those same skills for some very sinful plots in the future. One version of the story reports that at this point, Michelle was actually set on entering the priesthood himself, but those dreams were shattered by tragedy. When he was eight, his aunt passed away from cancer. Michel's life was uprooted, and he was returned to his parents in the city of Chalon-en-Champagne. Life there was tougher, living under the same roof as his abusive drunk father. Ah, so maybe it was for his for the best. It sounds like, yeah, 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 he didn't bother to have kids. Uh, di- didn't want to raise the kids. And also was an abusive drunk. Brilliant. And what a surprise. The old flavor of casual criminalist. Abusive parents, criminal children. In his teens, Michel turned to petty crime as a form of rebellion and became a juvenile delinquent who was well known to the local cops. As he later said, Life could have turned out differently. I was no worse than the guys around me. I could have committed only small burglaries, then I would have fallen into line. I would have married a girl from the region. But thankfully, for fans of dramatic prison break podcasts, this wasn't to be. Oh good, I'm so glad he had a life of crime. I mean, in this case, you could be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm assuming he hasn't murdered anyone. Or maybe he did kill people. I don't remember. I mean, I'm familiar with this guy's story because of the helicopter thing. But I'm assuming he didn't kill anyone. So he could be like, cool, yeah, he had a life of crime and now he got a good story. Whereas if it's like Ed Gein, you're not like, oh, it's, yeah, it's really good that he killed all those people. Wait, didn't Ed Gein just kill like, one person or two people? It doesn't matter. No, Ed Gein was more the corpse. Let's use Ted Bundy. Ed Gein was the corpse digger up and dude. Be like, Ted Bundy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, it's really good that he murdered all those people, so we've got all this content today. I mean, even though this is good to me and it like provides me with a podcast and, and stuff, I'm still always like, it'd be better if these bastards weren't out there killing people, obviously, because I'm not a psycho. And maybe Callum will be a psycho. He's a ter- yeah, yeah, he killed six people. And Callum's like, yes, yes, come on, material. The first bid. Michelle's first stint behind bars would come at the tender age of 18, when he was living on a housing estate with his first love, a woman called Zabeth. The couple had a kid together, even though they were basically still kids themselves. Oh, brilliant. Good move. Michelle was working in a factory to support them and now spent the weekend on his new hobbies, drinking and Grand Theft Auto. The crime, not the video game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, God. What are you doing this weekend? Yeah, I'm going to do some Grand Theft Auto. Do or play? Do or play, Michelle? Please be at play. He got a kick from going out drinking, stealing a car for a joyride, then returning it to where he found it before morning. A victimless crime, I guess, but in 1969, Michelle got sloppy. He nicked a car on his way home from a nightclub in town and ended up abandoning it on his council estate. Too drunk or tired to return it. You wake up and it's like, man, that was an intense night. What did I do? Oh, no, did I? I, 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 I didn't return my joyride car. I remember when I was a kid, I swear it doesn't happen as much these days. Maybe just because car security systems are better. But when I was a kid, you'd find like burned out cars would be around the place. Because kids would get drunk, they'd steal cars, and then they'd joyride, but they'd end up somewhere and they'd just set the car on fire. I think like to burn all the evidence or something, or just for shits and giggles. But there used to be like way more burned out cars in life, right? Or do I just not see as many burned out cars anymore or just I ignore them because it's not like, whoa, a burned out car, which is interesting when you're a kid and as an adult, you're like, oh man, that's going to be an insurance nightmare. (laughs) 
He'd woken up from his hangover the next day to the sound of the police kicking in his apartment door and his girlfriend's panicked screams. The future king of escape was up on his feet within seconds and about to pull the first disappearing act of many. He hopped out of the bedroom window and sprinted off to safety, probably still in his boxes. Michelle went on the run for two weeks, hopping between friends' houses to stay under the radar. Meanwhile, his girlfriend, Zabeth, was enjoying a completely undisturbed stint in jail after being arrested on the spot. She was, quite understandably, unamused. Yeah, why was she arrested? What, she's got a stint in jail? She's just the girlfriend or the wife or whatever, the, the, the thief. Just because your husband or wife's a criminal doesn't mean that you're a cr- I mean, unless you... Wait, I mean, sometimes you can be like an accomplice and shit, right? But she just seems like she's just chilling out at home. <laughs> and now she's in prison. God damn it, Michelle. When the cops finally caught up with Michelle, he was handed a pretty hefty prison sentence for such a minor crime, 30 months behind bars. By all accounts, Michelle was quite a handful for the guards and was thrown into solitary a number of times for his little rebellions. He would later tell a Paris radio host, I was very marked by my first prison sentence. Essentially, the worst prisons are just like conventions or training camps for the criminal underworld. There, he turned from petty teenage crook to well-connected 21-year-old crook at the time of his release. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, that's not going to be good for recidivism. What we did, prisons, training criminals, getting connected. When his sentence was over in December 1972, he was banned from staying in 21 of France's 101 departments for the next five years. But he flouted this rule to try and make amends with the woman he loved. And before we get into that, ah, let me tell you about today's fantastic sponsor, Raycon. Look, you're listening to a podcast. Chances are you're doing it through a pair of headphones. And I mean, if you're not, I mean, if you're at home listening on the speaker, great, good for you. But if you're out and about and you're not listening on your headphones, what are you up to? Get a pair of Raycons. Or if you have headphones already, probably not as good as a pair of Raycons. That's right, Raycons. What you do, you just pop them in your Oh, plus with Raycons, they have different size uh, little, I don't know what these are called, like the rubber tips. There's different sizes that come in the box, so you can find some that fit your ears. I have surprisingly large ears, but also the ear holes, not as massive as you think. So I put on the little ones, and you just pop them in like this. And uh, unlike some other brands, they don't stick out, they don't dangle down, they're not like gonna fall out when you go out and about. For like sports and stuff, uh, pretty fantastic, because they just, they slot in and they don't fall out. Also, you don't have to worry about sweating or anything, it's uh, all very nice. They uh, come in this case, obviously. What you do is you just pop that open, you take them out. When they run low on batteries, which they don't do very often, you put them back in the case, they charge up super fast and combined 32-hour battery life, which is pretty absurd. I guess I use headphones like a couple of hours a day. That would last forever. It's pretty fantastic. And what's even better, they start at half the price of other premium brands, which makes them an incredibly affordable option. And also Raycons come with a 45-day happiness guarantee, so you really can't lose. Create your own soundtrack with Raycon right now. Casual Criminalist listeners can get 15% off their Raycon order at buyraycon.com slash casual. That's buyraycon.com slash casual. You'll get 50% off your Raycons. Buynow.com slash casual. Pour l'amour. That means for love or for the love in French. Ah, my French is so good. When the time had come for him to leave prison, he tried calling Zabeth home, but she no longer picked up the phone. After all, he had left her to take the brunt of a bust that she had nothing to do with. By this time, she had moved on and shacked up with a policeman, no less, which made the sting all the worse. Yeah, no one could blame her. It's like, oh, you ended up going to jail for something your like previous boyfriend did. It's like, you just want to go with the opposite, whoever that person was. And now it's a policeman. 
If the stories are to be believed, Michel was above all else a hopeless romantic. He set his heart on one last-ditch attempt to win back his teenage sweetheart. That's the kind of motivation we can get behind. We can even possibly overlook all of the little crimes that he committed along the way, like driving without a license. <laughs> Which I like, you know, that is such a minor crime, but it's something that you know, if if I was banned from driving, the idea of driving would just be like, nah, you just don't do that. You got banned from driving. <laughs> so ob- obedient. The fastest road to Chalon-en-Champagne ran through Bouche de Rhone, uh, one of the areas that he wasn't supposed to be staying in. So when his car broke down along the road and a car full of friendly policemen stopped by to help, our young anti-hero panicked. Oh my god, dude, you just got released from prison. The first thing you do is drive without a license to a place that you're not allowed to go. Your release is not going to go well. Had he just stayed and explained the situation, he might have been given a slap on the wrist, but escape was the only kind of action that Michelle seemed to understand. When faced with fight or flight, with fi- fight or flight, he chose flight every time. Once again, he managed to run away on foot and continued his romantic road trip in a stolen car. Oh God, now you've stolen a car. <laughs> Meanwhile, the cops at the previous vehicle simply searched through the glove box where he had left his identity papers. Oh my dude, what are you up to? No! Okay, so Michelle hadn't quite mastered the whole escape thing yet, just give him time. His new ride served him well for a while, but somewhere along the picturesque riverside of Macon in Burgundy, this one conked out as well, leaving him stranded. Just as like the Good Samaritans who stopped to help him, this time were gendarmes, uh, French military police. <laughs> this time he's also bad at escaping and crimes and also incredibly unlucky. This time, he's not able to outrun them. He's dragged back to prison for breaking the terms of his release, another Grand Theft Auto, driving without a license, and both of those attempts to free flee from the cops. All of this pain and heartache, heartache for the futile pursuit of the woman that he loved. Well, maybe. Another version says that he was just working in Bouche de Road and got caught joyriding again like a dickhead. The French do love, up to, dre- love to dress up a story with romance, don't they? Yeah, especially as defense attorney. Playing on easy mode. Without a cozy home life to ever go back to, Michel all but resigned himself to the criminal lifestyle. The more time he spent locked in a tiny concrete room, the more he became utterly obsessed with the idea of escape. It's as if he was addicted to the rush of life on the run. This time, the 21-year-old is locked up at a little provincial penitentiary in Macon, the perfect place for a first attempt at jailbreaking. If you try and jailbreak, though, don't the, isn't the punishment like really intense? I feel like I learned from that Prison Break TV show that if you try to escape from jail and they catch you and they put you back in, you get like 10 more years, which feels pretty intense. Like if you're in, it's like, what's your prison at 18 months? Yeah, but I tried to escape and now I'm in for 11 and a half years. It's like, just do the 18 months. But then again, if you're in for life, it's just like, what you got to lose? Literally, you have nothing to lose. Maybe they'll throw you in solitary or something. But it's like, just why not? If I was in prison for life, all I'd be doing is just like looking for ways to escape. I'll just be thinking about escape all the time because I just want to be outside prison. Just, I guess. <laughs> he starts practicing his observation skills, collecting information on the routines of the prison, the weaknesses in its walls, which guards can be buttered up and which might have to be beat down. He studies the prison like a puzzle for several weeks and discovers the solution is actually fairly simple. On certain days, model prisoners were allowed extra time outside to help load up some of the trucks at the prison entrance where the gates would be wide open. Shortly after, the young rebel managed to infiltrate this group of do-gooders and gave himself a clear shot at freedom through the open prison gates. Michel loaded himself into the back of a truck and was soon on his way back home to Chalon Champagne. You can tick prison break number one off of your checklist 
four more to go, which necessarily means that there are at least four more arrests to come as well. If you want to become a true master of escape, you have to be pretty shitty at avoiding arrest too. Yeah, I mean, escape of prison's all good, but isn't escaping getting arrested in the first place just the best option? The Leap of Faith Michel Verjure's next slip-up came when he was trying to get some money together to fund his new life. Unable to get a normal factory job again, he took to burglary instead, a career path which he did not take too naturally. After a few successful but meager hauls, one homeowner heard him clattering around in the house and the cops came there to meet him when he emerged. This time the jailbreaker would be playing on home turf at the Maison d'Arrête de Chalon-Champagne, a rustic medieval prison with a six-meter-high wall and barbed wire fence stretching up twice as high on the inside. Escaping from here sounds like a tougher ask for our young anti-hero. But with his determination, you bet that he'd find a way. Whenever he was being dragged around the prison from the main ward to solitary and back again, he kept an eagle eye on the fence for weak points. Back and forth, back and forth, and he soon found what he was looking for, a heavily rusted section of the fence, which he reckoned could be cut through without the need for special tools. He makes a plan to snap through the fence and climb to freedom, just like he climbed uh, rocky hillsides with his priest sensei all those years ago. One afternoon, he casually meanders away from the prisoners in the yard toward the weak spot. The flaking metal wire snaps apart with ease, and Michel folds back the fence to squeeze through. He crosses the narrow no-man's land between the fence and the wall without being spotted and clambers up the old bricks. Now six meters high, he can see the town of his youth spreading out before him. His liberation is so close. He looks over the edge at the long drop with butterflies in his stomach. Now suddenly unsure of himself, he clenches his jaw, slows his heartbeat. A vision of that old priest appears. Use la force, Michel! And so he leaps into the air, soaring like an eagle over mountaintops, the soothing winds of freedom caressing his wings. And then he shatters both of his f***ing ankles. <laughs> ah, of course he does. It's a six-meter-high wall. No alarm went off, but the attempted escapee's yelps of agony were more than enough to alert the guards. They sent someone out to scoop up the young escapee and patch him up. Technically, he did make it out of prison, but only because he spent the next few weeks in a hospital ward. I have to say, also, to bring up prison break again, it was so enormously complicated. His name was Michael as well, wasn't it? I mean, Michel Michael, French version. Uh, it's like... His way to break out of prison, in the first season at least, I don't care, and let's not speak of the other seasons, uh, was so complicated and wild. But in reality, it's just like, yeah, 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 there was a rusty fence, wasn't there? <laughs> it's like, yeah, 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 no, I just got in the back of a truck because <laughs> they let me out to unload a truck. It's never as complicated. It's always just like super basic. How did you get out? Yeah, helicopter came. Just landed on the roof and I grabbed onto it. Easy. It's not, yeah, yeah, yeah. I tattooed it on my body and then I drew the devil's face on a wall and then I used like an egg beater to drill through and then there were 700 other things I did to escape. It's not like this. It's just not. He's clearly still not quite got the hang of this stuff. But what I'm starting to learn is that if you want to be a successful prison breaker, perseverance is key. After his bones healed up and he was returned to the prison block, Michel decided to join forces with his cellmate for the next attempt. The floors in the fence had been patched up and reinforced, so they had to steal tools to saw through some metal window bars and break through. This time our escapees remembered to bend their legs and roll. Still, it's a six meter wall. Is bending your legs and rolling really gonna work? Still, both men blew out their kneecaps and they were dragged back inside. How did you not learn the first time, guys? Oh my god, fool me once. Only joking, nobody's that stupid. Okay, thank you. <laughs> I was really worried. Casually and carefully, they lowered themselves down to the ground with ropes made out of bedsheets nicked from the prison laundry. Wow, this is like the stereotypical escape. 
By the time the guards realized what had happened, the white ribbon dangling down from the battlements was the only sign that they were ever there. The Bloody Brilliant Baby Bell Bust Out as you'll soon see, the on-the-run sections of Monsieur Vajour's story are actually more like footnotes than proper chapters. Getting out of prison was actually the easy part, whereas staying out, not so much. He and his accomplice ran, ran off into Chalons and found themselves in a, sa a safe house to hold up in. Without money to flee or feed themselves, they started a campaign of robbery that once again lands Michel back in prison when he's nicked trying to stick someone up. Returning with a fresh four-year sentence, the correctional officers at Maison de Arrête de Chalons Champagne welcomed him back with open arms. And they took a full me thrice shame on me approach to keeping him contained. Now his cell window had two rows of bars and barbed wire wrapped around one let's see you break out of that one michelle just took these extra hurdles as a challenge and started planning his most clever caper to date he enlists the help of his cellmates luigi and gilles the latter was a hardened gangster from a well-known crime family and the two became like brothers during their time inside ah prison the breeding ground of criminals to get into more crime after a few plans they came up with one that could only be called utter genius let me guess soaring through the other bars in typical michelle fashion he starts causing trouble one lunchtime in the prison canteen he gets into a shouting match with another inmate and his ranting attracts the attention of a guard who runs over to restrain him as he struggles against the jailer michelle pulls out a bit of pulls a bit of sleight of hand and reaches down to the keys dangling from the guard's waist and presses a piece of wax into one of them okay now we're getting a lot more clever this is much more prison breaky I mean, like the TV show. Our ornery anti-hero is then tackled to the ground and dragged off to solitary, but it was all worth it. Now he has an imprint of the literal key to their freedom. And how did he get the wax? It was the red casing from a Baby Bell cheese wheel, the same tasty little Udam snack that British mums pack into their kids' lunchbox every day. The man himself is pretty proud of this one, and rightly so. It's huge, the work that was done to achieve this. It was a great job. All right, Michelle, there's <laughs> no need to brag. I mean, it is pretty cool, though. Although, what are you going to do with a wax imprint? You're going to have to, like, get something in there, like plaster of Paris, or, I mean, obviously not metal, to, like, make a version of the key. I feel like in in Prison Break, or I don't know what TV show it was, where I've seen this done, it was like they did it with, like, some sort of blue tack mold, and then they poured wax into the blue tack mold. But if you make it out of wax, the wax you pour in is going to melt the other wax, right? With the wax imprint in hand, he kept it out of sight until he could deliver it back to his cellmates. Then the three men spent day after day, night after night, sawing and filing away at a piece of iron salvaged from the prison workshop. Eventually, it's a perfect match for the original, which never even had to leave the guard's waist. Okay, that's pretty clever. You just, like, gradually wear down an actual piece of metal into the shape of a key. That is intense. Once their craft project was complete, all that was left was the big event itself. The door could only be unlocked from the outside, and the most detailed reports I could find mention that they pierced through the door with an immersion heater. Now, those are the things that heat up water boilers. I'm not sure how breaking through a heavy steel door, perhaps they had some other tools as well, or maybe they used it to more easily cut through a thinner panel. Whatever the case, they bored a hole big enough for an arm to fit through, reached around with the key, and unlocked the door. My theory, or thinking immediately, would be it's like one of those uh glass not glass but like perspex you know plastic doors with uh reinforced metal bars inside so it's bars and plastic and so with the key obviously on the other side and so they use the heater to go through the plastic and then they reach their arm through and use the key to unlock the metal door i mean it's a pretty secure door and that's a pretty genius way of getting through it
Michelle was ecstatic as the tumblers clicked into position. He could feel the electricity of another big escape surging through him, but his colleagues looked less enthusiastic when he turned to face them. For some reason, Luigi and Jill actually decided to stay behind. Perhaps they didn't have long enough on their sentences to justify the risk. So Michelle once again found himself alone atop the prison wall, shuffling down a bedsheet rope to freedom. <laughs> Surely by this point, you'd be like, he was in there for four years, right? And he's been caught escaping three times so you'd be like oh just just do the four years get out and you don't have to be on the run do you and then you could resume like a normal life or maybe the life of a better criminal once you've met lots of people in prison and got really good at crime like prison seems to do for people brilliant safe harbor for anyone still counting that's now three successful escapes two broken legs and a long list of botched criminal activity. If that record is anything to go by, it wouldn't be long before Michelle was back behind bars a fifth time. However, this time catching up to him wouldn't be quite as easy as he'd spent as he had some experienced allies to run to. The gangster Gilles had already informed his family, many of whom were accomplished armed robbers about the escape plan, and his criminal clan made preparations for when the three fugitives arrived. Even though their own blood stayed behind in the end, they treated Michelle the same as they would him. The escape artist now had enough money and protection to survive the crucial early phase of life on the lam, and at the same time, he learned the ins and outs of the armed robbery game from his hosts. As he later said, we were pirates, they were privateers recognized by the king with obligatory connections. Meaning until he met them, he was just a convict. Afterwards, he was a criminal. From here out, his crimes would be characterized by higher stakes, bigger bucks, and heaps of extra violence. Our little countryside joyrider was all grown up. During his time hiding out with the family, Michel even managed to find true love in Nadine Bourgeon, the sister of his old cellmate Gilles. This Bonnie and Clyde couple enjoyed a tumultuous romance made all the more chaotic by the fact Nadine was a prolific bandit herself. Her rap sheet included arrests for receiving stolen goods, fraud, and attempted robbery. Their romance was cut short when Michelle was picked up again during another botched robbery and was dragged back off to prison. This time, the officials had learned their lesson. Michelle would be spending his next stint at the high-security Maison de Arrête de Chamont, condemned to rot in a cell. That's a quote. Um, yeah, but didn't he already escape prison three times? And it's on the fourth time that you're like, maybe we should put him in a higher <laughs> How was he not in maximum security prison already? The Spirit Journey this diamond-shaped fortress in historic castle town Chamon was smaller than our anti-hero's previous homes, with capacity for only around 60 prisoners and far more guards per inmate. That is a really small prison. I mean, there's loads of criminals, right, in prison. 60 is... Is it going to really make a dent? Escape seemed out of the question. Whenever he scouted out the defenses, they were all sealed up tight, and whenever he tried to get access to tools, he was denied. So instead of looking outward to the world beyond the walls, Michel took refuge within. Using a small handbook on yoga, he spent long days locked up alone in his cell as a chance for spiritual improvement. He formed breathing exercise, centered his mind, gave up all unhealthy habits, and began living like some ascetic hermit on a mountainside. I was a monk in his cave, a Tuareg in his desert, an inner freedom, and in the face of authority, a peaceful indifference. So, it actually sounds, and I'm sure it's not the case, that he's actually improving himself in prison and becoming a better person. But, you know, something's going to change, isn't it? 
Why are French bank robbers so much more poetic than ours? In the background, the prosecution was piling up some pretty severe charges against this eloquent yogi slash bandit. Thirteen years for two armed robberies, which weren't really armed at all. All the guns were toys, painted black. The charges kept stacking up until he was looking at a mammoth 23-year sentence, which is more than enough time to become a full blown yoga master. But that wasn't really his goal. The yoga was all about mastering his own mind and giving himself the patience to choose the right moment to escape. There could be no mistakes this time. After three years of solitary meditation, speaking to basically nobody but Nadine, who is now his wife after they got married behind bars, he put his new plan into action. Well, that is like some loyalty. She got married to him even though he's going to be in prison for like 23 years? God damn. In I-17, or she's like, he's going to escape. He escaped four times already. He's going to, you know, it's his time. We just got to wait. In 1979, at the age of 28, and just a few months after marrying his sweetheart, Michelle decided to go for a more brute force approach than usual. One morning, he rode three hours in the back of a prison wagon down to Chalon, where he was due to appear for a preliminary hearing. Sometime during those proceedings, his investigating magistrate, the kind who handles the pre-trial stuff, came within arm's reach. Michelle pounced and locked his arm around the man's neck. He produced a pistol from his waistband and put it to the hostage's head. The guards promptly lowered their weapons. Well, I say pistol. It was actually a bar of soap carved into the shape of a gun. I swear I've seen that in a movie. That's definitely been in a movie. And blackened with boot polish. Still at a distance, I guess it kind of looked like the real deal, and at the end of the day, none of the guards wanted to be responsible for the execution of a magistrate. So, they backed off, and the wise young yogi made his way outside, waving his lavender-scented semi-automatic in the air as he went. <laughs> oh my god. This guy. It's not its not like Prison Break Complicated, is it? He's just carving a bar of soap into the shape of a gun. <laughs> okay. After that slightly less elegant escape, Michelle returned to the loving arms of his beloved, and the two of them fled to the countryside. There, they bought a farmhouse with money saved from their robberies, started making plans for the future. They would stay in the robbery game until they had enough money to retire to Argentina. <laughs> Okay. It's okay. It's like Argentina, the famous home of criminals. But I mean less bank robbers and more Nazis is the joke I was going for there. I just made a video about that on a new channel I have, by the way, called Into the Shadows. It's called Nazi Ratlines uh, Escaping to South America or something like that. If you want to check it out, please do go ahead, but only after you finish listening to this podcast. In the meantime, Michelle starts going by Daniel and gets cosmetic surgery on his nose and mouth to hide his identity. It was a brief golden age for Michelle Vajur, made all the brighter when Nadine fell pregnant with a daughter. They planned to name her Babbath. Bonnie and Clyde appear to have secured themselves domestic bliss. But once again, it was not to be, partially because that cozy home life was interspersed with the odd, violent, Tarantino-esque robbery. <laughs> ah yes, domestic bliss <laughs> and armed robbery. It was on one of those jobs that Michelle screwed up again, honestly, just give up and drive a taxi or something, and they managed to hold him long enough to convict him two years later. Added to his rap sheet was a count of attempted murder from the near-fatal shooting of a cop during a heist in 1980. Oh. This changes things. Because it's like before, he's just like robbing shit, and he's like stealing cars, and he's kind of like escaping prison, and you're like, okay, you know, he's not hurting anybody. And then he shoots a cop, and you're like, okay. Okay, so now it's like, you need to be in prison, don't you? Forever. Come on. Oh yeah, you didn't think our handsome anti-hero was some non-violent noble thief, did you? Definitely not, Callum. I definitely wasn't thinking that. <laughs> what? No, he was dangerous as hell. One saying, if the cops get in my way, I don't raise my hands, I switch on. Holy f***. Gun parts were the part of the game that excited him the most. Honestly, sure, I liked you better when you were just pretending to shoot at people with silly soap guns. So now, at 30 years old, he was sent right back where he most probably belonged. Yeah, if you shot a cop, you need to. It's prison time. It's prison time forever. 
Which brings us pretty much right back up to speed with the dramatic airborne opener from the start of the episode. I promised you five jailbreaks, and five jailbreaks you shall have. The last one is by far the most famous and the most exhilarating of all. We're now no longer dealing with little countryside penitentiaries. Michel was hauled off to serve his sentence in Paris at 19th century correctional citadel Le Prison de la Sens. Here, our anti-hero was tossed in among 2,000 of the most hardened criminals in the Republic. Serial killers, drug kingpins, hitmen, you name it. They even had a special VIP section for high-profile inmates from politics and organized crime. Ah yes, politics and organized crime. Those two things that go hands in hands, but desperately, desperately should not. Basically, for a career prison breaker, this was pretty much the final level of the game. The Big Boss. So let's take a look at the map. The blueprint of Le Centre resembles a wedge. The eastern side features an X-shaped wheel and spoke construction of cell blocks connected to a 4x4 grid of courtyards in the west. Until 2000, the four blocks were broadly divided by race, meaning our man must have found himself locked up in Block A the Western European bloc. A healthy staff of guards with rifles man the towers, and layers of brick, steel, and wire lay between the convicted and busy city avenues on each side of the prison. I can already hear you planning it through in your head. I would totally make a grappling hook of the workshop, steal a rifle from the tower, and backflip off the wall onto a motorbike. Yeah, dream on, mate. By all means, you're quite welcome to get arrested and give it a try, but let me show you how a professional handles this particularly challenging breakout first. Dear Michelle tell it, the motivating power behind his greatest feat yet was love. Love for his wife and for the daughter who he never got to see being born. Madame Vaugeur brought the little one to her visitor father at the prison, but the few hours they had together was never enough. More than ever, all Michelle thought about was breaking out. Well, Michelle, if you uh, if you didn't want to be in prison and want to be spending time with your daughter, well, you shouldn't have been a criminal, should you? You shouldn't have shot a cop. You should have just, you know, drove a taxi or whatever. And as always, you have to first understand the puzzle before you can solve it. He began with simple observation. Weak points, guard routines, available tools, potential allies. The last one was the easiest of the lot. Michel soon made friends with a fellow armed robber in his mid-twenties named Pierre Hernandez, who had joined him in scouting out the prison. A friend on the outside would absolutely be essential to pull this one off, and thankfully Michel had the best ally that he could cope for. His gun-toting, bank-robbing action hero wife, Nadine. Action hero. <laughs> Criminal. She kept visiting the prison whenever she could and passed secret notes to her husband hidden in hide inside homemade snacks. The hopes of a reunion almost fell to pieces in 1983 when Nadine herself was arrested in connection with a botched armored car job in Tours. On that day, a group of masked bandits, one of them female, got in a shootout with the guards when they refused to give up the goods. Two of the security officers were injured and bandits were shot dead. Oh my god. I saw, have, you must have seen it. It's a few months old now. But there was this incredible video of this armored car robbery. And it's like the, the GoPro or whatever cam, you know, the dash cam inside the car, like focused on the driver and the, the other guard. And it's like, they're like being assaulted by proper guns. There's like spidering in the glasses. They're getting the, the gun shot at them. And it's so intense. And these dudes are just so calm and like doing all this like crazy driving to escape. And they escape. And it's epic. And I don't know, just search like armored car attack. And it is an epic video. And the dudes just like, they're just like so ready like just fully ready ready is the but they're not calm because they're like you know doing all this crazy driving but it's like you just see that they're you know there's no messing around there's no panic it's just go time it's really cool 
The female crook, however, managed to get away. After ascertaining the identities of the dead guys, the cops were certain it was Nadine. She spent some time in jail as a result. Eventually, she was released from jail due to a lack of evidence. It really, if it really was her and she had gone down, then it most likely would have been game over for the both of them. And who knows what for little Babbath. So Nadine started to dedicate more of her energies to planning how to make a big family reunion possible. It's not entirely clear who came up with the craziest part of the plan, but from what I've read, I think I'm going to give that point to Nadine. See, one of her stints behind bars, perhaps the most recent one, was spent at the Fleury Marigui prison in the, south of Fra- in the south of Paris. And in 1981, the very same year that our amorous anti-hero was dragged off to prison again, two inmates there pulled off the impossible. An accomplice managed to land a goddamn helicopter right in the middle of the prison football field and take off with both of them inside. And I'm thinking that's probably where she got the inspiration. <laughs> I wonder what makes you think that, Callum. Granted, that one ended poorly in a hail of gunfire, and it also involved the unnecessary ugliness of kidnapping a pilot and putting a gun to their head. Nadine had more class than that, so the robber princess decided to take the DIY approach. A couple of years after her beloved was sent to the Parisian prison, she began taking helicopter flying lessons. She literally learned one of the hardest skills in the world out of pure love. Keep that in mind next time your partner doesn't do the dishes. Is flying a helicopter one of the hardest skills in the world? I mean, like I said, I'm learning to fly a plane, and it's complicated. But I wouldn't say it's, like, one of the hardest skills in the world. And I assume flying a plane is similar to flying a helicopter. I did think about learning to fly helicopters, but I decided it was too dangerous. It took her only a few months to get her license, because Nadine is the kind of badass that every little girl should aspire to be, minus all the crime, of course. And afterwards, she began regularly renting the same aircraft from the same airfield in South Paris about twice as twice a month, for ten months. Same days, same times, so nobody would suspect a thing. The airfield operator thought nothing of it. Her license was real, and it's not a crime to rent a helicopter. But it is expensive, $315 an hour to be precise, and God knows how much for the actual lessons. It's pretty expensive. It's pretty expensive. While his wife was out making moves to break him out, Michel was pretty much just chilling in prison, playing chess with his mate and meditating. The one big task he and Hernandez had was scoping out a landing spot for the chopper. It quickly became apparent that there was uh, n- there was nowhere open enough to bring down an aircraft without risking a fiery explosion. So our pair of jailbreakers had to find a way to make it to higher grounds, and they had to do that without getting a bullet through the chest. To pull that off, they would need to employ some impressive ingenuity and some adorably cutesy arts and crafts. Are they going to get dressed up as someone else? They're going to make their uniform into into something. Like I think one of the coolest things that you know the prison escapes would be like they had those orange jumpsuits and they dye them blue or something and make them into like prison guard outfits or whatever, and just walk straight out of the prison. Isn't that? Oh my god. The girl in the air. Morning, the twenty sixth of May. 1986, the day which Nadine mentions in her note, with instructions to be ready. The sound of helicopter blades whirring in the distance aren't a worry for the prison guards yet, because they have a far more immediate problem on their hands. Two prisoners down in cell block A have decided to spice the morning up by threatening to blow up the joint. They're holding something aloft, a pair of goddamn grenades. They scream at the guards, threatening to detonate the explosives if anyone approaches. The guards panic. Frags are definitely on the contraband list, so this wasn't something you had to deal with every day. They're probably made out of soap, aren't they? I mean, these two dudes are definitely going to get some time added onto their sentence for this thing, but I'm guessing that they're already like in there for life, so they're just going to their family get paid some money or whatever from the, the gang or from these guys. I don't know. 
If the men were shot down, they would drop the grenades, which would explode anyway. The only non-fatal outcome here would be to listen to their demands, which were pretty simple. They wanted to go outside for some fresh air. I guess. One of the guards aims down his sights at the duo as they emerge from the cell block and into the yard. His colleagues follow behind them, and the bombers spin around, threatening to blast the guards to pieces if they don't step back a few meters. Repeating that formula, the two jumpsuited grenadiers, gr- grenadiers jog across the yard unimpeded as the guards edge forward after them. At that moment, their mad shouting is drowned out by the sound of a chopper arriving over the prison, hovering far above the yard. A duffel bag drops down onto the dusty courtyard with a thud, and from inside, one of the men, you probably guessed who it was, yes, Michel Vajour, produces an 8-meter knotted rope, a telescopic rod, and a magnum revolver. Well, another fake one, but still. From what I gather, after trudging through dozens of conflicting reports, many of which take a lot of liberties with their interpretation, Michelle Hernandez then used these tools and some impressive gymnastic prowess to set up their rope and clamber up onto the prison roof. Michelle is up on the roof in seconds, where the helicopter now hovers a few feet above, shielded from most of the guard towers by tall chimney stacks. The riflemen, who do have a clear shot, radio their superiors and ask what to do. Open fire, or let the prison break unfold. It seems like health and safety won out in the end. If they brought a helicopter down here, it could end up crashing into any number of residential buildings nearby. Yeah, because Lassant Prison is right in, and it's in a nice part of Paris, I think. It's like, because it's historically there and whatever, and then the area around it became quite upmarket, I think. So it's like a helicopter, like, it'd be like a helicopter crashing in a really nice part of town. It's not a good time. I mean, it's not a good time when a helicopter crashes anywhere. A bad part of town, nice part of town, whatever. I'm just saying it's like, you know, more of a contrast, isn't it? It's interesting. An amateur photographer in one of those buildings across from the prison actually managed to capture all the action as Michelle jogged up to the roof with Hernandez still lagging behind on the rope, only just having clambered up over the ledge. Michelle makes his way to the chopper, about seven or eight feet overhead, and hops up to grab the runner, hoisting himself up into the copter as it begins to rise. Hernandez is so close, but in an absolute move for the ages, Nadine starts to fly off before he can get on board. That is mega douchey. The vinyl pictures taken less than five minutes after the chopper arrived show Michelle high in the air, perched on the runner of the chopper and flying to freedom while his buddy sits crestfallen on the peak of the roof. Seconds later, the police storm the rooftop and poor Hernandez would be forced to surrender. And now he's got so many more years and he's never getting out of prison, is he? Ah, oh, Hernandez, no! In that last action-packed image, a rifle can be seen falling through the air beneath the chopper, presumably the one which was brought along by the mystery bagman. And likewise, according to Michelle's version of the story, Nadine told him to toss his explosive escape tools away before taking off in the chopper too. So, if you had been one of the guards running around the yard that day, you might have experienced an extremely sweaty-palmed moment as Michelle's plastic revolver fell down from the rooftop past your head, followed by a grenade. Maybe then dive to the floor and cover your ears and wait and wait. For some reason, the grenade doesn't go off. Maybe then you take a closer look at the little ball of death lying a foot away from you and notice that it looks weirdly squishy. Maybe then, for some reason, you pick up the piece of deadly ordnance and take a bite. If so, you'd enjoy a mouthful of delicious, plump, juicy nectar in straight from the prison's cafeteria. Yes, Hernandez and Vajour mounted one of the most daring escapes in history using a bit of fruit and some paint. It doesn't surprise me at all, but the thing is, the guards, and the, the guards probably not even worried. They're probably thinking they're fake, but they cannot take the risk. A few minutes after, poor Hernandez was dragged back down to his cell for a severe talking to, and the lovebirds and their anonymous associate touched down on an athletics field next to some Paris University student dorms in the south of the city. Some of the students, chilling on the grass that day, reported seeing them run from the helicopter to a car which was waiting nearby, and just like that, they were gone. 
on the run. This would be the last time in his life that Michel Vajur would spend on the run from the cops, and it ended in the most dramatic way imaginable. The hunt was on from the moment that the helicopter left the prison roof, but the authorities were too late to arrive at the athletics field and only found the abandoned chopper just sitting there. A Paris police spokesperson said, They have two or three years on us, so we don't expect to catch up with them in three or four hours. Don't be too pessimistic, though. This is Michel Vajur. We're talking about the king of getting captured. Yes, brilliant at escaping, but also brilliant at getting put back in prison. Nadine, on the other hand, had one key advantage, anonymity. The crime couldn't be definitively pinned on her, even though a woman was spotted in the cockpit. That was until they traced the registration. <laughs> I'm like, this is going to last about 10 seconds. She's rented the helicopter under her own name and got a helicopter's license. Going to be five minutes before they figure that out. That was until they traced the registration of the aircraft to a ta- uh, to down in saint cyr le which Nadine had been a patron of for 10 months now, using the fake name Lina Rigon. She was the first to be captured while hiding out with family in southwestern France. Rather than return the favor by taking some flying lessons himself, Michel displayed his trademark recklessness as if he was just dying to get back into prison to show the authorities up all over again. Seriously, that's the only explanation for this madman's post-escape decisions. Rather than lay low, he started robbing banks again. <laughs> well, I guess he needs to do. He's got to get some money from somewhere. Help me, I'm poor. On September the 26th, pre- precisely four months after escaping from prison, he entered Credit Lyonnais Bank in the Port de Bagelonneau area, east of Paris, and waved his gun in front of a cashier. When he made for the door, a team of cops were already blocking his escape. Michel opened fire, striking an officer in the stomach three times before there was a cracking sound and his head snapped around to the left. Everything goes blank. A policeman's bullet had punched through the right side of his skull, and he collapses to the floor. Cue some more lovely poetic musings. I experienced my death very consciously. My brain was 100% functioning. I could distinguish cobblestones, blades of grass, drops of blood, the sun. I got inside myself. A cop said, he's dead. I thought I was much more alive than him. I was at peace. Afterwards, I lost consciousness. That's some very zen recollections of the time you once tried to murder a group of cops, Michelle. Wait, is this actually real? And he's alive? He got shot in the head! I just assumed this was Callum playing with us. Wow, okay. And somehow that wasn't the end of the story. Michel Vajour managed to pull one last disappearing act by giving the Reaper himself the slip. He spent weeks in a coma before awaking in hospital handcuffed to the bed rail a bit unnecessary since one side of his entire body was paralyzed. Due to brain damage from the in- injury, Marshall was now hemiplegic. After the doctors finished a whirlwind course of rehabilitation, he went for he went to trial for the fresh charges of escaping prison, robbery, and attempted murder. The now disabled 35-year-old convict was shipped off to a maximum security facility at Fresnes Prison with a policeman's magnum bullet still lodged in his right temple. Oh my god, that is so intense. I, I I mean, jeez. Encore, encore. Okay, so he's basically been able to break out of every prison that he's ever been put in. It only seems fair to give him a handicap at this point. Usually a gunshot to the head signals the end of a biography, but this one still has a few twists up its sleeve. While incarcerated, spending long days in solitary misery, reactivated his yogic teachings. He spent hours practicing his techniques and actually credits them with helping him regain much of the mobility in his paralyzed side. Beginning by wiggling his toes, then fingers, then flexing his joints, he could eventually walk unaided again. That is actually incredible. (laughs) 
While he was just learning how to walk again, Nadine was back on the outside having served her 10-month sentence for her part in the escape and giving birth to the couple's second child, Bruno. Unfortunately, this was the end of the line for Bonnie and Clyde. Nadine visited him at prison sometime after her own release and told him that she still loved him but couldn't go on playing cops and robbers anymore. Worse, he never saw his kids again. Seems like nobody would fly to his rescue unless... Now it's worth saying that as romantic as this whole thing, whole anything for love story is, we have to bear in mind that much of it comes from Michelle himself. The reality may well be a lot grimmer. One past associate from prison said Michelle wasn't some hopeless romantic, but that he walked on anyone's head to get out and exploited the women who loved him to regain his freedom. Have they been speaking to Hernandez by any chance? Ah, poor Hernandez, still stuck in La Sant prison. And it just so happened that he soon gains the attention of a young, attractive, impressionable woman for him to exploit, 21-year-old law student Jamila. She started following the case after seeing Michael's ex-wife on TV in 1989, promoting her book and trying to raise awareness about what she called overly harsh sentencing in his case. Fascinated by criminal law, the young student Jamila decided to write a vajour. Over the following decade, they would exchange thousands more such letters to each other. Being from a conservative Algerian family, Jamila was enamored with the world of criminals and soon found herself falling in love with our romantic hero, the King of Escape, a man 18 years her senior. In 1991, they finally had the chance to meet, but it was an awkward first date, seeing as it was at the courthouse and Michelle was on trial for all the robberies and shootings that had committed while on the run. <laughs> the following year, Michelle's letters suddenly stopped and Jamila grew worried. She cooked up a plan to get close to him again by signing up to teach Spanish lessons at the prison. Jamila, why are you up to? Someone needs to rein you in. Don't do this, Jamila. <laughs> why? You're like one of those people who marries psychos in prisons. Like, why are you marrying a serial killer in prison? This <laughs> is not a good decision. This is not a good choice, Jamila. What happened to you? With her access pass in hand, she was able to make contact with the caged bird. Prison life was taking its toll. Quote, he couldn't even speak anymore. You felt that he was running out of strength. I didn't know if we were going to see each other again. I wanted to help him. And when his ex was willing to mount a helicopter jailbreak for him, how the hell was she supposed to top that? I believe she's going to try it with a helicopter if I remember the story correctly. Well, just do exactly the same thing, but twice. Yes! Yes, two times this young, intelligent, successful woman strayed from her studies to hijack a goddamn helicopter, attempting to break her middle-aged criminal boyfriend out of the slammer. If you're getting deja vu right now, it's probably because that's almost exactly the sto same story arc as Harley Quinn. Never seen Harley Quinn, obviously. The first attempt was aborted before she even got on board, and the second time she flew toward the prison with a gun pointed at the pilot, but the jailers were alerted that a chopper was on the way long before they arrived. For that little stunt, she would be sentenced to seven years in prison, and her dreams of one day becoming a judge were shattered to pieces. <laughs> if you're a law student and you end up serving seven years in prison, you're right, you can't be a lawyer. Like In the UK, there's a, there's a solicitor's regulation authority which decides this and they'll be like, no, <laughs> no, 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 no. Unethical, impressionable. But does Jamila regret it? Apparently not. Quote, I went to the end. I knew the price to pay from the beginning. <laughs> what is up with you, Jamila? No. Her family only found out about the incident and the relationship when the evening news was announced that the police were looking for her, meaning Michelle didn't make the best first impression on the future in-laws. The little girl ended up serving five years for her recklessness, and she was released in 1998. Wait, future in-law. So at some point they get married? Oh, no. The following year, Michelle converted to Islam so her family would allow him to marry her, although surely the fact that he was a literal attempted murderer with almost two decades left in prison was a bigger red faith than his flag. No, 
Ah, Callum, let me introduce you to a little thing called religion. <laughs> it's very strange. But there was a happy ending in store nonetheless. Four years later, the main man himself was granted a surprise release from prison. Only the second time in his life he'd ever walked out of a prison legally. In 2000, a new law made our anti-hero eligible for parole. He shot a policeman. Two policemen. One guy in the stomach three times. Somehow he survived that, I guess. And he convinced the board that he was reformed, in no small part, thanks to the influence of his new wife, who he claims inspired him to perform his most miraculous escape of all, breaking out of his life of crime, although I think the bullet to his brain probably played a part as well. When he walked out in 2003, it was the final time. 52 years old, 27 years total behind bars, good lord. 17 years in solitary confinement, 5 escapes, about a dozen more attempts, and a record-breaking sentence from remission, released with almost 17 years left to serve. If you were to visit Paris today, you might be able to find Michelle, now 70 years old, walking around a park with Jamila and their dog, asking about the craziness of the old glory days, and to brush it off in a nonchalant style. Quote, For me, it was normal. I wouldn't have been surprised to open a dictionary and read prison, place from which one must escape. Wrap up. And I think we'll just wrap it up there for the story of Michael Vajur, Le Roy de l'Avasion. And what a story it was. Mentored by a warrior priest, a gung-ho anti-hero embarks on a life of crime filled with clever plots, gunslinging duels, and daring airborne escapes. Okay, I may have glamorized it a bit too much in that recap. Because although it's cool to hear all these amazing escapes, there remains the fact that Michelle was quite content opening fire on security guards and cops during his robberies like there was definitely a reason he was in those prisons in the first place so don't cheer too loud when he breaks out all things considered not exactly the best role model however if one were to be imprisoned in the basement of a diabolical digital media despot what useful lessons might one glean from michelle vajur's storied life Oh, also someone put together it was in the comments of one of these videos and i voted it so hard was everything they've learned about being a criminal from the casual criminals is like don't write down your crimes but like 50 others and i was reading it just i stumbled upon, i think this comment got voted up quite a lot so it's at the top of one of the recent videos i reposted it on my twitter at simon whistler if you want to go check it out and it's brilliant there are some absolute ones that i've totally forgotten about and it's i can't remember any now which is brilliant but it's very good I can make an entire podcast about them at some point i feel like in a year once we've done like many casual criminals and we've got like a full list i'd just like to go through them in like a special episode i think that'd be fun uh okay so the list if you don't have weapons make fake ones note to self will finger guns do no callum <laughs> when leaping from more than two or three meters be sure to bring a rope or some crutches bare minimum in a pinch, putting on a sexy French accent can really help rope in a female accomplices. <laughs> yeah, but all of the people he was in with, like, he got in with are French. So they're just going to be like, it's just, you're just, it's just French. And if you do man manage to make it out alive, don't get shot in the head. Although I think I already knew that one. That's enough wisdom to get any aspiring jailbreaker off to a flying start, no pun intended. Now, if only I had a wife, or a helicopter, or some nectarines, or a baby bell, or any food at all, really. And now, Callum, that I've discovered your basement diary, well, uh, maybe I'll get you a baby bell, but I'll be taking off the wax. Dismembered Appendices Number 1. After his dramatic final escape, Michel went on to become a minor celebrity in France. Over the years, he's written a film script, appeared on TV and radio, published two books, and been the subject of a film, Le Fille de l'Air, The Girl in the Air. Perhaps more impressively, somehow, his partner Jamila managed to make a successful career as a lawyer. What? Despite being the, sec the nation's second most famous female hijacker. 
that's crazy they let her become a lawyer i guess she reformed seven years in prison though goddamn Number two, airborne escapes are actually ridiculously common in France uh, compared to most places. My favorite recent one is the escape of career robber Redon Fade in 2018. Not only did his gang fly in by a helicopter to extract him, they spent several months scouting the place from the sky with drones. Yeah, drones. Drones and prisons. This has been an episode of The Casual Criminalist. I do hope you enjoyed it. Thank you so much for watching. If you are watching this show, please, or listening, of course, if you're watching this show, please do smash that like button, subscribe. If you're listening to this in its podcast form, well, please do also subscribe. Also leave a review if you would like. That would be fantastico. I don't know why we're doing Italian. It's French. What's French for really good? Uh, oh, I know this. I know this. Je l'adore or something, isn't it? Like, I adore it. But uh, that's not what I'm that's not what I want to say. Let's just wrap things up here. Thank you so much for listening or watching and I'll see you next time.